This is Amplify, a mini-series from the True North Collective podcast, aiming to highlight unsugarcoated conversations with everyday Black and Indigenous people of color on what it means to be yourself in the realities of our current system. Welcome to episode three of Amplify. So uh, welcome to Amplify, the mini-series brought to you by the True North Collective. Uh, Just a reminder, what this is, is going to be a perfectly imperfect conversation with three humans who are discovering what it's like to be ourselves, but specifically amplifying the voices of those who have specifically been impacted um, by systemic racism and all of it, past, present, and future, and what does it mean to be yourself within that space. So I'm, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you, Lee. Um, also to bring in a perspective from, from Europe, uh, you know, we, most of our guests have actually have all of our guests been from the U S uh, I think actually or can, we've had Canada, Canada, yeah, Canada and U S. <laughs> yeah. So it's nice to kind of get some, some new perspectives from outside of our sphere in lots of ways. So welcome Lee. Yeah. yeah welcome. Pleasure to be with you. And we met Lee, met Lee um, randomly through the internet as all things. So it's always fun um, as we make new friends on, on the internet and Lee has an amazing story and I'm not going to ruin it, but Lee Chambers is a functional life coach and his story is going to be woven into our conversation today. So we'll just leave you with that little bit and we'll get to know Lee more as we chat. So Lee, welcome. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to be on today, guys, and yeah, share my story and hopefully maybe inspire and enable some other people to step forward and have those conversations imperfectly perfect that we all try and have on a regular basis. That's awesome. When when I saw your bio online, um, one of the things that that really struck me is you said you're not you know you're not afraid to go there and you're not afraid to show your authentic self and to be vulnerable in these interviews. Um, so we'll get into that throughout the conversation. But do you want to start maybe just by telling us a little bit about yourself, how you got here? Yeah, it's been a it's been a journey, and that vulnerability has had to been cultivated to really come forth. But it's that that same journey that's allowed me to ultimately find ways to express myself and enable others to express themselves as well. Um, so I was born, uh, brought up in the north of England, uh, blue collar family, parents very hardworking. Uh, so I'm mixed race. My mother is Caucasian and my dad is uh, Black Caribbean. So I've kind of been brought up in that scenario of very much seeing uh, two differing cultures coincide, sometimes uh, integrate, sometimes bounce off each other. Um, but ultimately, it's interesting because you very much are able to kind of sometimes separate and see things from different perspectives. Uh, and it gives you a certain mobility in the conversation. Uh, and as a child, you're not really aware. So it's quite beautiful that children are very colorblind, so to speak. They just treat other children in the way that they ultimately want to be treated. And I was a very curious child, often labeled disruptive because I wanted to know why things worked, why the world was the way that it was, and really dig that bit deeper and try to understand myself. But I found that challenging as a young man. Um, And I was always one to do well at school. I got good grades all the way through school and into college. And it was the first one in my extended family to go to university. 
my parents saw that as important to become a precedent to show that anyone else in our family even now or in the future could also pursue education to a high level if they wanted to do so and then that took me up very much on a whirlwind journey where in the middle of university I really really struggled with my identity with my ability to be able to express myself authentically because I kind of got to a place where I was trying to make an adult adolescent to adult transition but felt like I didn't have the tools to do so and I struggled to navigate my self-awareness and emotional intelligence to a point which actually caused me to start to avoid the world because I felt like I didn't have the tools, the skills, and the ability to kind of express myself. And like many people in that situation, I looked out to society for someone to model, to help cultivate the way. And for me as a young black male, I saw rappers, I saw sports stars, I saw film actors, but the real realistic nature is I'm kind of part scientist, part entrepreneur, part philosopher, mixed up in a soup. And there's no example of that out there. And I kind of look back to my childhood and realize that I never really had particularly deep conversations with any of the males in my family. And I didn't have that facilitation and therefore I didn't have the tools. So that actually led me to isolate myself in my university dorm for two weeks and be taken home and being taken home freed me and allowed me to reflect in a deep way about how I'd got to where I was and how I would have to take ownership and responsibility over trying to chisel my own character going forward to be able to understand who I was and that was to ultimately go outside my comfort zone take ownership of my own development and really start to kind of navigate the world whilst learning to navigate myself and that has kind of taken me on a journey the past 15 years because obviously 15 years ago there wasn't the awareness around male mental health there wasn't the awareness just in general about how we operate as humans there wasn't the support either there wasn't forums for me to go on places and people for me to speak to things that were integrated into society to help us kind of checkpoint and signpost ourselves into places where we could get assistance um So I actually came out of university, but managed to build myself up and graduate and go back. And that was a big thing for me because I was able to then express forward that I could go for adversity, face challenge and come back and bounce back and achieve the outcome that I wanted to. So this has kind of given me an element of purposefulness, but also a bit more understanding of what resonated with me. And the two things that really resonated deeply with me were helping other people and working with patterns, algorithms, and statistics. So I combined them together, fused them, and decided I wanted to become a financial advisor to help people with the financial well-being, but be able to also enjoy doing the projections, doing the interest. And that was great because I graduated in 2007 and got, uh, got into a graduate scheme at a national bank here uh, against a lot of competition and really managed to, you know, make make an example. I was the only diverse candidate who got through. So that kind of tells you a little bit of something about how things were. But ultimately, I didn't really look at that too much at the time because I was much more focused on trying to, you know, make an example because you always have that slight awareness that you might have to work that little bit harder and the boundaries might be that little bit higher. But if you think about that too much, it will become a limiting belief in itself. So I tried to kind of put that to the side and compartmentalize that 
and try to make a good impression as me. And I kind of did that, but six months in, the economic crash hit so hard that I lost my training budget. So $12,000 of training was, was just defunded overnight. And I don't come from a particularly privileged background, so I didn't have that kind of money. So that left me slightly concerned. But in the big scheme of things, I was then made redundant a few weeks later um, and forced to move back in with my parents again to start again. And before this becomes a whole episode of just a story, uh, that has then led me through a process of really trying to find out who I was. That led me to set up a video game business because I'd been told that I would struggle to execute it. That was too young, too diverse, too rough around the edges. And that business was in many ways fueled from other people's doubts and me proving them wrong. And it was highly successful. And at one point it was at seven figures. Um, however, a business that's fueled by those negative emotions, fueled by that trying to make people see that you can. It wasn't a business that really aligned with my values and gave me the fulfillment that I needed. So alongside that business, even when it was making significant finances, I was working. I worked in local government, doing a number of different jobs to try and find a place where I could help people. I then ended up in charity, working and helping people who'd been made redundant like I had, helping them get an idea of what industry and role they wanted, building the confidence back up again and helping them articulate and communicate that interview. I then spent some time in elite sport and that had come about because after losing my training budget back at the bank, I decided to just continue doing qualifications that I paid for myself so no one could take them away from me. So I had ownership over paying for them and choosing them. And I did a number of qualifications around sport, including performance, human nutrition, strength and conditioning and soccer coaching badges. That then landed me with a job there. But that didn't, didn't resonate with my values. I found that a lot of money was spent on very high-level elite performance. But below that, young kids were being let go with no support. And that money would have been better spent in a lot of ways down at community level, helping thousands and thousands of people to live happier, happier and healthier lives. And ultimately, I was just kind of coming to that conclusion that this isn't for me either. When I became ill, and lost the ability to walk and had to relearn again. And that was the perfect chance to just stop and consider what I truly wanted to create, what I wanted my legacy to be and what impact I wanted to make in the world as I took 11 months to get back on my feet properly. And that's very much ignited a fire inside of me through those challenges and through that adversity to look at the world in a much wider where and I kind of think that I was able to finally use my self-awareness to see the world in color because I'd seen it very you know two-dimensional previously and suddenly started to see the world in more dimension and more color and that's led me to where I am today deciding that I was going to utilize my lived experience my qualifications my industrial knowledge to build a well-being business which ultimately has the aim to empower enable and improve the health outcomes, well-being, and general happiness and fulfillment of people across the world. And that is where I am today, one year in, having made a difference already, but having really, really big plans to continue on that pathway and leaving the world a happy and healthier place when I get to the end of my time. It's just amazing. Right. I know you're <laughs> a badass. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, just congrats. Um, we talk a lot on 
on the podcast about dots and I feel like it's really cool because it you can see in the story that you just shared even if it was a condensed version sort of all the dots that maybe and you can correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth but maybe pivoted you or pushed you in a different direction that you maybe wouldn't have if it weren't for some of those spots that were more challenging like you said where you had to really rise above the adversity I definitely think that in a lot of ways, I kind of started to see that these things were happening for me instead of to me. And in a lot of ways, I've always been, and I think my overarching belief is that nothing in this world happens in isolation. Everything is interconnected. And that impacts the way that I coach, the way that I deliver, and just how I see the world. And we do live in a world that tries to isolate things down into one problem to be solved. But like anything, you can, if you narrowly focus on that one problem and find a solution, it will probably affect 10 other elements of life that are interconnected. And it's not always the way that you want it to be. So I try to naturally see these things as dots that are joined and aligned. And that has enabled me to see things from a wider perspective which has helped me navigate the world and also navigate myself. I don't, I want to acknowledge you for being able to do that. Cause I, that, I don't think that that's a skill that many can hold on to. I was even say, I was like thinking about like, how do I see, see problems? And I think when you're right, when I tend to narrow in on one thing and I'm trying to find the solution for just that one thing. I can actually see how there's much more at play and I can get overwhelmed because I'm, I'm like, there's more things here, but to actually take that bird's eye view and to take it all in, um, is, is a really beautiful quality to, to have and to share. Yeah. And and I think, yeah, I mean, I'm very appreciative of your words and I don't know, a lot of that just feels like the way I'm wired. And the way that I ultimately see the world, because it's, it's not simple, but most of life is quite simple. And again, to, to actually do a lot of things that we desire to do is quite easy, but we, we like complexity. Most human beings are hardaholics. We like to make things harder than they actually are. And that's almost a, t- a tangible way of, of justifying to ourselves and other people why we do it and it when we can kind of almost dilute it down but realize that even the simplest thing is part of a wider scope it's just being in that dark cave and instead of shining your torch on one thing and deciding that's all you can see starting to actually light up inside and you know create a little bubble of light around you so you can see a little bit more Oh, thank you. I feel like you just like spoke to my soul. <laughs> just <there. laughs> I am going to now say I'm a recovering hardaholic. Yes. <laughs> well, I don't even know if I could say recovering yet because I think I still am a hardaholic. So. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I agree with that. I've I've talked about it on the podcast many times, but I'm like I just like to like run into brick walls head first and hope that the outcome works out and see how many times I can do it when a lot of times maybe I don't need to go for that wall or there's a door or I can walk around it. The thing is though, sometimes we need that approach and sometimes our approach isn't as nuanced as we want it to be. (laughs) Yeah. 
but it's it's very important as human beings we actually kind of train the approach response because my challenges with my mental health was because I avoided everything. Everything from my job to my university to my social life to my friends to my family. Everything just became avoid, avoid. And that mechanism, it stops you from growing, but it actually starts to very much limit your capacity to appreciate other people. It limits your capacity to start to explore yourself. And in some ways, it's a, it's a trained response in a, in a kind of strange and convoluted way. The first time you face adversity, I kind of almost equate it to the first time someone steps into a boxing ring and someone starts trying to throw punches at them, you turn around and you try and get out. <laughs> but in life, life is a bit like a boxing match, and adversity is going to hit you in the face quite a few times. But in a boxing match, you can't actually just get out of the ring and say, you know, that's it, I'm done. Can't do that in life. You have to learn to take a few punches, and in some ways, almost hope that you get a more difficult opponent next time so you can continue to practice and get stronger and become more as a person. And yeah, I think the ancient Greeks had it kind of nailed down when they had um, academics on one side and wrestlers on the other in the same room, you know, men mental and physical training combined together in an interconnected way. Yeah. I like things when they're interconnected because everything is. I love how your brain works. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, one of the, the topics that you had on your profile was, you said racism, and it was pretty broad, but I'm curious how, when you think of your story, you mentioned a couple of times, you know, you were the diverse candidate, um, but how that has impacted you in your life. Yeah, see, it's been interesting because obviously I'm aware that depending on where you are on the planet, manifests itself quite differently so i'm in the place where in the north of england it's not massively diverse by population uh, and different places have interspersed communities of diversity um, so my own experience i've not been the victim of a lot of overt racism over the years and because of the circles that i've moved in the areas where i've lived the academic institutions I've attended and the type of work that I've done, I've very often been the talk and diverse person in the room. And what that does is it, it's interesting because it, it almost decolorizes my own vision. I don't see myself often unless a room's full of mirrors. So I kind of blend in in a lot of ways. And what that, what that does is it creates strange expectations. So I'll speak to someone on the phone and they will expect to see someone who's Caucasian when they meet me because my accent and my sounding and my tonality is very similar to anyone else who lives here in a mostly Caucasian area. And there are occasions where people are a little bit shocked. And I try not to say that personally because you understand that people will make prejudgments. We all do. We're human beings. We shortcut these things with the intention of using less processing power cognitively as humans. So I've come from a place of significant non-judgment on it, simply because to have the conversations, you need to help people to become enabled to feel that they can. And if they feel that you're judging them, then that closes down the conversations that are difficult and need to be had. 
and I kind of look back on my journey and with honest reflection and realize I have, you know, I have suffered some covert racism over the years. And there has been something said that probably looking back now, I should have highlighted more. But it's always a bit challenging when you're in those scenarios, especially when you're younger and a bit less self-aware to be able to take a step forward and make an example. So when I went into the video game wholesaling market, that is a very white, very male-dominated market, generally dominated by older Caucasian men. Like the market I was going into, the central hub is in Europe. It's not a diverse industry. When I actually went to a business advisor to show him the plan, he ultimately said, you know what, Lee? This is a plan that's executable. Forecasts are not inflated. Your projections look to be spot on. And the plan itself is something that's watertight. But he ultimately said, you're going to struggle. And it's not a personal slant on you, but ultimately you're going to be walking into those boardrooms. They are going to look at your pitching and they're not going to give you the instant credibility. They're not going to give you that lower level trust. They're not going to give you the time. The doors are going to be harder to open. They will put bigger barriers in your way because of how you look and how you, you know, apply yourself because you are very, very young. You look very, very young. You also, you come across with a disruptive attitude. This is, how should we say, he said, a very stagnant industry, one that doesn't like change, one that's traditional and very rooted in values that you will be moving against. So he said, consider it, but think about industries where diversity is more accepted. Think about industries where innovation and creativity are championed rather than dampened. He said, maybe look at development, maybe look at coding. There'll be more opportunities for you there and it'll just be so much easier. So as a young 21-year-old male, I, I took that. He was an experienced, you know, businessman. And it didn't feel like it came from a place of hate. It came from a place of advice. And what that actually did is it stopped me taking action until I was made redundant. And that year, it would have probably made a difference in my business. But more so, what that did is it actually fueled me to want to prove people wrong. And that fuel allowed me to create a business that while not being heart-centered and not being what I wanted to do, that business helped me to become more independent. It gave me the finance and the resources to continue doing different qualifications that are now relevant to the business that I do today. It allowed me to provide my family with financial support and also allowed me to purchase a property and live a relatively comfortable life with my wife and my children. But what it also did is it financed my recovery when I lost the ability to walk. And finally, it allowed me to spend three years at home with my children before they started school, which is a decision that I made before starting Essentialize, that I wanted to leverage the business that I had 
to spend as much time with my children before they started school, knowing that once they did, I would never get that time back again. So it's strange. Those decisions actually gave me the fuel to build a business which has served me in many ways, but also now has given me the clarity that a business built on that kind of fuel is only ever going to burn so long and that it has enabled me to now build a business that fits with my values, that resonates on my frequency and actually allows me to impact people. So it's strange. I almost see that experience as something that actually defined a path for me to use a negative experience to get a positive outcome. It like hurts my, like when <laughs> going back to when you were talking about it and having that conversation, like it like hurts me so much. Like I get anxiety just because, you know, for different reasons, but some overlapping, like being young, being told like, well, you're too young to do this or yeah, the industry you're in isn't going to adapt and just feeling I've had scenarios where I felt so passionate about that industry, but it's like, what do you do? Just like walk away or yeah. Do you light that fire and just go, go ahead first. But it, I, you know, I can't, ima- like, I can't imagine adding additional layers to that and still just, I love that you, you went for it, even if maybe it wasn't heart centered because you probably expanded that you know you you were an expander for other people too that looked like you that maybe walked away rather than taking action yeah and i think a big part of me sharing my story now is not necessarily to highlight the racism but to highlight that for me as a young black man in that industry and today as a young black man in the wellness industry you don't look like those industries don't let that stop you if I can be an example and show you can make a difference in those industries, then so can you. If that's what you authentically want to do, then the barriers might be a little bit higher. They are. I mean, if I was female, the barriers would be even more higher. So actually, I should be grateful that the barriers are only as high as they are because they could always be higher. And ultimately, if I can try to inspire a few people who are like me to be more like them, then ultimately I'll feel like my job's done and it allows me to also help people through the work that I do. And that's very fulfilling for me, but also something that they can take forward. And if I can help people to become more purposeful, aligned to the values and start to understand how to look after themselves better and how health compounds over time, then yeah, I think it's very, it's very much worthwhile. And that experience as well, actually then became a a catalyst for me realizing that advice there's way too much of it out there lots of it is not with the best intention and actually I'm not going to live my life taking advice and conforming to what other people say because that's how you you end up drained of your own authenticity and the beauty of authenticity is the root of the word comes from the word author writing your own story but so many of us are stuck with other people writing our book. Why don't you take the pen back and write your book? And more so, you can choose who writes in your story. And you have the power to do that today. So why not actually consider that if you want to be authentic, you take that pen back, you start writing your story. And when you write your story, you don't write the limits and the boundaries that other people set for you. 
you decide where you're going. You've got control over that, over where your destination and your outcomes are. And that's really powerful when you suddenly grab that pen, take your life back. How did you take, how did you take the pen for yourself? Yeah. So, so for me, it was when, especially when I was ill, I became aware that I'd not been particularly grateful for a lot of things in life. So lying in hospital, not able to walk, not able to shower, go to the toilet, feed myself properly. Suddenly I have a lot of people helping you do very basic things. And at first, obviously you, you have the shock of that happening because I went from fully mobile, fully independent to flat out, not able to do anything in a week. But after that shock wore off, I had all those negative emotions come flooding through and tried to find a way to helpfully express those so that I didn't, I didn't suppress them and struggle with them in the future. But after I managed to kind of move through that, I hit a point of clarity where I was like, I need to consider what my response to this is because it's happened to me. And in some ways it's probably happened for me, but now my choice of response, I have to take responsibility. You know, my wife's six months pregnant. My son's 18 months old. I can't just sit here and hope that I'm going to, things are going to happen. I'm going to be fixed by other people. And that kind of give me uh, a certain element of, how should we say, hmm, a certain element of solitude because you get that kind of boredom, that boredom that allows you to really start to see what your life is like and how the design has started to been taken over by somebody else and by previous experiences being ruminated upon rather than being reflected on. And I realized that I hadn't been grateful for walking until I lost it. That was when I took the pen back and I realized that I hadn't been grateful enough to the people now coming, looking after me. And I hadn't been grateful for growing up in England you know, I've never been in conflict, environmental disaster, never been in famine, never been homeless. I've had free education, free healthcare, opportunity to set up a business, work in different industries. I've always had warmth. I've always had an awful lot of comfort, like so many of us do. And I'm just taking it all for granted. And at that point, I said, you know what? It's time for me to write my own story because my recovery is going to be based on me writing what I want. Who do I want to become? It's time to start writing it. I'm going to take ownership of my recovery. I'm going to be responsible to myself and take accountability because I wasn't going to get back on my feet unless I actually had an intention to make it happen and realize that the suffering, the pain that I was in, if I kept resisting it, I'd just prolong the suffering and struggle. If I accepted it, I could then move forward and move into growth and use that discomfort to become a bigger person. And that realization going through that, my physical capacity is probably at 70% of what it was before I was ill. And that is the best I can physically get, which is amazing to even get there. But I'm 200% of a person going through that experience. So I've actually grown more going through that and being able to take the pen back and now write a life on my own terms, without the boundaries and limits, and without taking advice and conforming, because we don't need advice, advice, advice. We need encouragement, encouragement, and encouragement to help people to get and do the things that they need to do. 
Yeah, there's something really beautiful about, um, there's a car alarm going off, sorry. Um, there's something really beautiful about, you know, the question came for me wanting to like hear, how did you do that? How did you do that? And I can look back on my own life and find moments where I've taken the pen back. But I think that the magical part, and magic might not be the right word, but that's the word I'm using, is in actually, no matter what you're telling yourself, no matter what is there, taking the pen and whatever you do from that point, it's like, and then even your story of like taking the pen and it wasn't necessarily heart centered. And then, you know, letting that played out and then taking the pen again and then taking the pen again and then taking the pen again and then taking the pen again. And it's the act of actually choosing to take the pen that that's where the power is. Yeah. And And I think that so often comes from when people accept what's happened and then make a pledge to take the pen back because things tend to happen when we lose control of the pen, when someone else decides to take it and start scribbling. And then something happens, that scribble kind of translates into your life and your life becomes a scribble. And all of a sudden, that's the moment to accept, okay, the scribble's happened, but I'm just going to flick over to the next page, start the next chapter. Thank you. I I have a question for you. You mentioned um, being able to start seeing in color. Can you talk about that more and what that means to you? Yeah. So I suppose almost in a lot of ways, because I was building a business fueled on wanting to prove people wrong, wanting to show people that I could, wanting to step out of the past that I'd had, the fact that my parents had worked incredibly hard, to show that I was curious enough and disruptive enough to make things happen differently. What that ultimately did is it it led me to see things in a very narrow way. So I actually ended up working alongside the business for four years, trying to find fulfillment when fulfillment would have come from stepping out and then actually looking at the bigger picture. Um, also running the business, I wasn't able, I'm quite high functioning as an individual. And that allowed me to do a lot of the business's processes myself. As the business grew, and I didn't physically have the capacity to replicate myself, because it was fueled by such frustration, it became me. And what I couldn't do, I would automate and automate and automate. And so I had an almost, you know, I had a seven figure business that was just me and automations. And that very narrow thinking didn't allow me to delegate things to other people didn't allow me to go and find the amazing gifts and talents of people to join me on that journey because i was so so determined but i had my head down couldn't see i was looking at my feet in black and white and all of a sudden becoming unwell i had to pull my head up and i pulled my head up and i could only see black and white and i was like this life's got to be about more than this I've got to be able to see wider. I've got this mind which likes connecting dots, which likes algorithms, which likes patterns. But at the moment, I've just been blind, not being able to see. And going through that process of cultivating that gratitude and becoming more self-aware and actually starting to listen to my body, that was one of the biggest things because to recover, I had to listen to my body for the first time properly and really anchor into that to understand how I was feeling and then utilizing that in my recovery. And that kind of then expanded out to me listening to everything 
and starting to experiment with my nutrition and my sleep to come off the medication that I was on because that medication dampened my immune system so I didn't attack myself. And in June, I took my last dose of medication and now I'm controlling it by lifestyle alone. But that is the power of seeing in colour because all of a sudden, I know how my body feels when I do things. I listen to it and it's an amazing feedback loop. It tells you everything that you need to know except as human beings, we've become so desensitized to it in everyday life. We walk around most of the time on autopilot. We occasionally feel things and wonder, oh, I feel awful today. But they don't go any deeper. They don't investigate why. Because there's a reason. It's a signal. And I suppose as human beings, when we realize that things that happen to us are signals, are highlighting something, not to be ignored, if we actually treat our life like a traffic light, we might actually start to understand that when things are red, you need to stop and reflect. But there are times when it's green, you need to go. I love this conversation because it feels like an embodiment of so many things that we've talked about on the podcast. <laughs> and we've spent a lot of time talking about checking in with our bodies and same thing, exactly how we're not really taught to say wait what's happening here like what is, what is my body telling me mm -hmm. um so i definitely have an appreciation for that because that's something in 2020 i've i've personally really focused on as well um i want to back it like way way up though that's cool <laughs> uh, you had mentioned that you grew up in a dynamic with um one parent that was from northern you said northern england right yeah. And then um, Black Caribbean, what was that like for you as you're kind of growing and building your identity as a youngster and then even into your adult life? Yeah, it was interesting because I, I have two younger brothers. Mm -hmm. um, so the, it was the three of us. And I suppose in a lot of ways, as a child, you don't really see it and understand it. And the, cult, the, cultures, the cultures are different. But to me, it was just, they were just my family. And I didn't really see any difference. I just saw that there were two different cultures. It was different, but it was just me. And I suppose what kind of happened is it gets to a point in your life where you have to almost decide which culture you land in. But I kind of decided that I actually landed in my own culture. <laughs> I was just me. <laughs> and it was just like, I, 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 I can't really define myself as, you know, black or white because I'm just, I'm just me. I'm just like, just Lee. Um, and it, it's funny because then when you're surrounded by Caucasian people because of where you go to, you just end up there. And I suppose other people would see a room with 30 Caucasian people and me. But I would just see a room of 30 Caucasian people and forget who I was at times. <laughs> and I, I suppose it's, it, it's interesting because I, my, the black side of my family, I would go and, and kind of hang about with my cousins and they were, they were different than me. They were much more into the idea of having a, a, a deeper black identity of listening to rap music, of looking at things in, you know, that kind of like dressing black, sounding black. But I didn't have, I didn't have that attachment. 
because I was very much and always have been quite an iconoclast, just just me. And I was I was the the odd one who was like, mm, yeah, let's go and uh, let's go and buy some simulation computer games because I like data. And they were like, what? <laughs> Why do you want those? And it's just like, yeah, that's just me. And, and the truth be told, I wasn't scared as a child to just be me. But there comes a point in your adolescence where you feel judged by other people and you start to feel that actually me, who am I? Because I've just been me. But when you kind of get to a point where you're expected to place yourself in society, starting to having to select boxes with your ethnicity on, that becomes a challenge because all of a sudden there is no box that says Lee from Bolton. <laughs> but there are a lot of categories that you have to categorize yourself into. And that in itself is something that you don't tend to do as a child. But then as an adult, you have to define who you are based on a bunch of tick boxes. And I don't like that <laughs> because we're not a bunch of tick boxes. We're each individual bio, individual human beings with our complete own footprint, with our own, you know, microbiome, our own DNA, our own gut enzyme makeup, where each one of us is a special, unique individual. And to, to bind us together by tags and labels is, is a lot of crap, really. And I understand that we have to segment society in ways. But yeah, I kind of, I've always rebelled a little bit against that. And I suppose that now comes through in the way I talk about racism and how to have those conversations because I don't come with that judgmental bias that a lot of people do. I'm not in a defensive mode that, oh, I'm black and you must be offending me. What that does is it actually makes people feel more comfortable to explore and understand their own biases because they don't feel that, I'm going to press them in a direction. They have the autonomy to start to explore themselves. And that doesn't mean that if they say things that I don't feel is appropriate, that I won't effectively tell them why it isn't. But it's not my job to educate people. I might be a psychologist. I might be a coach. And I might have moments of wisdom now and again. But I'm not a black historian. I'm not a black reference point. And it's really up to people to start to build their own self-awareness because if you can build that self-awareness and have compassion for other human beings, then when you take action on these things, it's authentically you. And I have no problem with people authentically expressing themselves from a place of self-awareness when you know it comes from a place of compassion if they get, it a li- if they get the words a little bit wrong. That's, that's, and that's my big take on this all. The black reference point is a really interesting one that kind of like hit me right in the heart. Um, what's, what's that been like for you? Yeah, it, it, it's, bit, it's interesting because when you are the one black person in the room, very often the one black person in an organization, in an institution, then you become the black reference point. They expect you to understand, right? So how can you enable And we've seen this in lots of industries now where a black member of staff is like, right, you're chief diversity officer. Wait a minute. I've got a full-time job here. You're going to expect me to be chief diversity, chief inclusion, chief belonging officer, as well as all that. 
Why? Oh, well, you, have to, you must have that lived experience. And it, it's, it's not that simple. <laughs> you really wish it was, but it's not. And having some lived experience of those things it's, it's powerful because it can be bound into industrial knowledge. It can be bound into qualifications and it can be bound into a deeper understanding to help people fulfill the roles. But obviously there's an awful lot gone on over these past six months. There's an underlying anxiety due to the global pandemic and things, especially over in the US, have become, you know, ultimately a breaking point at times. But in, in the bigger scheme of things, I've had that and now look back on that and realize that sometimes I was used as a black reference point. And that's not, that's not my role. Like I don't have black reference point branded on my head and people just need to sometimes be mindful that just because you're black doesn't mean you have the answers about being black. And I, I think sometimes because they saw that I had a black father and a white mother, I'd probably be able to understand more. And that's true. But what that actually means is uh, I, have a, I don't have the full understanding of having two black parents. That's a very different dynamic. And sometimes there's even that consideration that you might, you, I couldn't directly categorize myself as black because I'm not from two black parents. And that, that's getting into the minutiae of things. But still, I was quite often the most diverse person in the room. And therefore, there's an expectation that you will be able to alchemize that for other people. But it's kind of, you know, I, I don't mind empowering people to look into that. But it's very much a, a personal journey that you must go on to understand that. And if I can help you do that, then I'm happy to, happy to have those conversations. But so often it's, I don't know. I suppose the fact that we're talking about those conversations happening more often is a positive thing. I was just going to say, um, it, it is, it is interesting. I think there's like such a, a fine line and we talk about this quite a bit on the podcast too. And, in many different quote unquote labels. And that's one of the reasons why I think we're so passionate about doing this and, and everything that you've been sharing today, Lee, is so rooted in authenticity. And it's like, to be authentically you, you're much bigger than that label. And we all have to be careful when we take one person's story and we apply it to everybody. And I feel like that, you know, that's kind of highlighted in, in the example that, in the experience that you've had. What were you going to say, Rach? Pretty much very similar. You know, I think we had somebody on last year and they were talking about how, how much when people talk to them, they want to make their story about everyone who is non-binary, everyone who doesn't identify with a gender. And they're like, this is my story that doesn't mean this is every single non-binary person's story. Mm -hmm. And I just remember at that point, it hitting me too of how, I don't know whether it's like trying to be efficient, trying to have the right answer, whatever those reasons are for wanting to like, I found somebody that is willing to share this space with me. I have this information and now I have the information. So now I'm going to run with it. And like, 
the slowing down and the acknowledgement that, and then again, to recognize through this podcast that a lot of times I'll share my specific form of a story and the experience that I've had in that specific form relates to another person with a totally different story for, for completely, it's like, oh my gosh, I totally, how is this possible? And then on the flip, having people that I would have thought had the same story as me, totally different. And so now all of a sudden the world is more colorful. It, 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 I mean, it is, and now you're seeing it and it's, um, yeah, I mean, that was the reflection that I was having too, is just what happens when we allow people to show up and share with us who they actually are. And what, how, what, is, what does the world look like when we meet each person um, not as a checkbox? When we meet each person yeah. and get curious, let them tell us who they are. Like, what does that look like? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I think that's, the, that's the way to go forward because... The real challenge is that labels cause judgment from one side, but labels can cause fixation in the individual. And the fluidity of labels is something that's actually quite important because that, that ability to not be defined by your label, but to still be you is sometimes quite challenging. And I just kind of feel that we, obviously the world as it is at the minute, it's completely changed from when I was a child. And suddenly there's a lot more choice of label and the ability to actually live the life that you want to authentically without having to hide as much, without having to have less societal acceptance. But we're still an awful long way from being at that point where everyone can live authentically in every part of the world. And when I think about my own challenges, it might be just how I see it, but I, I tend to see them as happening to me for a reason. But more importantly, looking at other people's challenges and realizing that mine might actually pale into insignificance against some of the challenges that people face in countries where how if they live authentically, they will be killed. If they live authentically, they would find themselves having the freedom restricted in a way which is something that people in the comfortable world would honestly you know they would die having that freedom taken away and i think sometimes anchoring into that gratitude in your situation actually allows you to go and embrace your authenticity more without looking sometimes at the people who might try and squash that and being slightly less triggered by the challenges in communication that we still have i mean that is exactly why I personally wanted to have this mini series because we were having these conversations on authenticity and then it like hit me all of a sudden because of my privilege that not everybody can just be you like, oops, sorry, be you like put your, you know, there are actual things in place, real barriers in place that, I don't have to experience. I can just, you know, it is just my limiting, limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure I could come up with examples of when that's, that's not true too, but for the most part. And it was like, holy shit, we're having a conversation right now that not everybody can actually participate in, in the way that we are. And what do we do about that? Do we stop? Do we keep going? 
do we, and you know, where we landed was let's, let's expand this dialogue and let's keep expanding it and let's keep challenging ourselves because this is important. And this is a way that we can, that we can, um, do something in our way right now and keep learning and then keep grabbing the pen and like keep grabbing the pen and keep evolving and expanding. Yeah. And there is something very much said uh, to be said for podcasting because in countries where the web is censored in countries where the internet is limited, the ability to access podcasts from simple devices, just pure audio, but takes very little bandwidth allows people to listen to these conversations in the places where they can't be authentic, but knowing that somewhere else on the planet, people are being able to express that. And that is a sign of optimism and hope that is invaluable for those who face the challenges and true significant barriers to being their authentic selves, where they don't have the privilege to be able to do that directly. And that's really ultimately the the purpose of this podcast and why podcasting is going to be increasingly powerful in allowing people to have the awareness of what's going on also maybe possibly being able to take some action around the outside and finding ways and people to connect with who might be able to empower them as well i feel like i'm almost gonna cry over here (laughs) um yeah i i really actually haven't thought of that before and and how powerful that is um i mean i was just looking over like maslow i always say it wrong maslow's maslow's right yeah hierarchy of needs and um there's someone in the industry that uh the anger therapist i talk about it all the time on the podcast um and he had his his weekly text um and you know, when you look at the hierarchy of needs and the fact that I'm like, I'm playing in self-actualization, like I'm at the top of the pyramid because everything else is, you know, it's not all perfect, of course, but it's covered. I mean, what a privilege that is. Um, And it's tying back into this conversation. I was in the car yesterday, just driving around and I'm like, wow, like that to right now I'm on a big road trip too. And like, there are little things that hit you, like remembering that I'm going to be in the desert for a while and I need to make sure I have enough water and things like that, that you normally don't have to think about. Um, But then, you know, that just that little small, and again, it's so tiny because I'm, again, I'm playing in the top of the pyramid all the time, but just having those little hits on being on the road and being in places that you don't have the comforts of your own home. It is really a reminder of how, how much gratitude that, like I want to experience and how much privilege I have and not having to think about those things basically my entire life. Um, so thank you. Thank you also for sharing that perspective when it comes to, to podcasting and the idea of the optimism that's out there for other people that might not be experiencing that. Yeah. I, I just think it's important as so, so many of us are strangely comfortable in what is sometimes an uncomfortable world that we actually get ourselves uncomfortable so we can share an awareness of those that simply don't have comfort as an option. And in a, in a society which is constantly amplifying further comfort and trying to make things more certain, it's really important that we actually step out of that because 
the reality is that a lot of society is pushing us in directions that's not beneficial to helping us become and see in more colour. And obviously events of recent times have shown that as awareness is gained and some freedoms are gained, the backside of that is that you know people are, are having behaviours manipulated and people are being pulled around because there's become a deeper understanding of how you know exploiting our psychology and physiology to create behavior change and make people behave in different ways and those nefarious elements are frustrating because that can be used for social good that can be used to make people healthier behavior change can be leverage for the good of human beings but it's almost how should we say <laughs> it's almost wishful that it would always be that way because at the end of the day we are a bunch of you know jumped up apes who decide we can rule the world and <laughs> that, that is that is truly what we are and what's funny is we, we end up in these situations and we are really really dynamic agile and creative in a crisis but we're absolutely awful at preventing things becoming a problem. But we have to accept that we need problems because that what that's what makes us human. So yeah, lovely cycle we in. <laughs> have you watched? Have you watched? Um, I don't know what it's on, but Vow, I think, or the Vow. Uh, so I watch very very little TV. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I watched less. Um, but it reminds me a little bit, I've been watching it and it is about a cult that, um, I think it's, I think it was in Canada, but it may have been in the U S I I've been slowly watching it because it's actually pretty difficult to watch from a standpoint of the entry point into it is a coaching model. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's getting people in you know, there's elements throughout that are kind of like off and you're like, hmm, but the core, the reason that people are there is that they want to do good in the world and they want to better themselves in order to do better in the world and how, how that can be exploited exactly like you're saying. And as a coach as well, it is like the first episode I was like, oh shit, this is like, I do this. And I was just like, uh, And, you know, the elements that seem more overtly exploitive make me like go, okay. But the fact of the matter is, is that we all carry a huge responsibility in, in what we are bringing to the world and how, how we are choosing to use our gifts. And it's just, it's a really, it's a really great call out. Yeah. And I suppose ultimately we, uh, the wellness industry has some deep rooted problems because as much as it's trying to help people to get closer towards the potential to unlock their own beliefs and habits that hold them back and kind of help people to explore their own self-awareness, that in itself can fuel challenges because the more self-aware a person is who wants to go out and create our harm, the, <laughs> the more leverage they become to be able to do it and it is, I suppose, ultimately, it's like anything. Uh, in this world, you know, we, ha- we have the power to do good. And we have the power to do not so good. And stress can be a driver of performance, but it can kill us. And it's trying to get 
any in so many ways anything that is anything that exists is toxic in too much um but also we can be very much without it and find ourselves degenerating i find within the coaching industry there's all sorts of problems toxic positivity problematic um an over focus on purpose or i can help you find your purpose no you can't because people need to go out and chisel the character to find the purpose and yeah there's a lot there's a lot of it that's unethical there's a lot of it that's that just doesn't doesn't it doesn't resonate with me and you've got to try and be different and so much of it because marketing is psychology at work is behavior change is influence you've got to be so mindful of what you do in terms of that yeah it's a big responsibility being a coach it's a big responsibility having a business and I suppose at the end of the day, if you are running a business which isn't giving back to the world, is making a positive impact to your employees, to your stakeholders, to the clients and customers that you have, to the partners that you work with, then if I help you make more money, I'm not helping the bigger cause. And the more money that those people have, the more damage they cause. <laughs> and it's... Uh, it's a fine balance because you have to choose the causes you want to amplify and a podcast like this amplifies the message of those who are actually trying to make a positive difference, do it mindfully and making a choice to step out authentically and check themselves before they go and take action. Yeah. Ugh. I could talk. I know. <laughs> I wish you lived close to me because I feel like, <laughs> Oh, I, yes. And like to, to even have clients, and I know we're, we're kind of going to need to wrap, but to even have clients who then, at least for me in the U.S. are, and I do have some clients elsewhere too, but coming to me thinking that that's what they need. And when I say, I can't give it to you, like this is, this is the journey. The journey is being in the ambiguity and being in, in that. And I'm here to be with you so that when it feels like, I can't fucking do this. You know, like, Hey, you're not alone or whatever it is. And, and even in that, not me telling you it, me holding the space for you to remember. And, and a lot of clients are like, yeah, no, I don't cool, but no, how can you charge me for that? Like, I actually, I'm going to go to this other person over here. Who's going to just like, give it to, give it to me basically. Yeah. Well, it goes back to like what you said earlier, it's the advice giving, right? People are just like, give me the advice because I don't, you know, necessarily want to do the work for myself to figure it out. So you just tell me what to do and I'll do that. And it's, I mean, it's handing the pen away basically to your coach versus yeah. Someone like giving you the pen and saying, write it, keep using that analogy, but I'm going to be here in case you get writer's block, you get stuck. I don't know, your pen runs out of ink, <laughs> whatever it might be. And that's not what we're taught because we're so used to yeah. just listening to other people's advice and what yeah. society tells us. So it's hard. It's a hard, it's a behavior yeah. change. I mean, it's a yeah. mentality change too. We just have that expert society where people go to see the expert and that's lovely, except there becomes a day where that lovely meal that the experts cook for you the experts on holiday, you need to cook for yourself, but you've not learned to cook for yourself because the answers are inside of you. The skills that you need to develop are inside of you. You need to learn to cook. 
don't just take the shiny coach's meal and then wonder why you're so hungry. <laughs> it's so, yeah, it, 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 it's, you've got to help people to empower and enable themselves to, to you know, that, that, that's what it is. And sadly, there's, there's too much advice in the world, not enough encouragement. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to just say it out. I want to have you back on the podcast because I, <laughs> I want it I, I, for a lot of reasons, but also this idea that anything is on a continuum and that as we become more self-aware to your point, it's like somebody might become more self-aware that their desires, and I've been hitting up against this lately, that my desires might actually be hurtful. What do we do there? Like what happens when we get to that point? And I know we don't have time today, but if you're a game, I would love to have you back because- you're amazing. I'll be back. Part okay, six. cool. <laughs> yes. I also just love, I want to say, like, I, f- I feel like, Lee, the work that you're doing, it, it, there's so much overlap in, like, the work that we're doing. And like I said, that it's been this embodiment of so many conversations that we've had just in this one conversation today. So it's really cool. I'm like, so right over, you know, over in the UK is having these conversations too. And I know we know people are having the conversations like obviously we get to have them and invite people on our podcast but I just feel like it's very hopeful too to see other people out there that there is alignment and that the conversation is starting to change Yeah. yeah and I just think that we as people trying to step forward and incite action against challenge that we remain hopeful and optimistic because that colors our world can't see in color if you've not got hope or optimism for the future yeah what's Uh, the question rage oh yes lee how do you live your true north in one word iconoclastic yes (laughs) whoa whoa okay i have two more questions one what does essentialize mean to you i know that's the name of your functional life coaching business so essentialize means that in the true reality of the world, only a few essential things matter and everything else is just noise. You're awesome. I just like breathe. <laughs> like I took a deep breath. I, I, I was love like... you, but I was just like, <laughs> I'm going to breathe that in. <laughs> Let it out. That's amazing. Do you, do you work with anybody? Um, so... In the true way of marketing, when someone asks, do you work with anybody? It's like, yeah, I work with this specific person. But I I will actually speak to anybody initially to find out if there would be someone who I can build a coaching relationship with because I go pretty deep and we we kind of, we're we're inciting real change in, in that person so they can change themselves and possibly other people um so yeah i kind of that does lead me to have quite quite a lot of calls um and i do some workplace stuff as well um but yeah it's really important that you don't narrow your clients to this avatar of a problem because that kind of works in the digital world where you're selling courses where you're never present but in actual coaching you don't know the problem that you can help people with until you speak to them. And you don't know who is ready to change. And you don't know who is wanting to ultimately vibrate on the same frequency as you. So, yeah. 
I I will I will if anyone has been vibrated by this talk, feel free to get in contact with me. Yeah, and what would be the best way that someone could do that? Uh, so the best way would be to go to essentialize.co.uk and there you can find my blog, my services, my socials. And for anybody listening, you can also download my ebook for free, which is full of questions and exercises to help you start to refine that chisel so you can go out and start shaping your purpose. That's awesome. Perfect. And we will link all of that in the show notes. Um, one final question too, is there a specific cause that you want to amplify? And if you want to think about it, we can also just throw it in the show notes too afterwards. Yeah. So I think the cause that I would like to amplify is a collective of wellbeing practitioners who deliver here where I live in England and they all work from a, a similar angle of value orientated engaging the disadvantaged first well-being practitioner, which is incredibly important because so often wellness is delivered to those who pay at the top who are already privileged enough and already engaged enough to make that decision amazing so we will rachel and i as part of the amplify series as we mentioned we'll donate um, to that and then we encourage everyone else to do that as well and we'll include a link in the show note where people can show notes where people can do that what was the name of it did you say yeah it's well-being lancashire perfect awesome well thank you so much lee this has been amazing i am <laughs> i feel very grounded this morning um in a super busy time and i just i know we both do but very much appreciate you just taking the time to come chat with us and being game to play and just you know have conversations with strangers over in the united states so thank you your your story is amazing you as a person is amazing the work that you're doing uh is very inspirational and it again to me it's just like it's just so exciting to see someone else out there who has a similar there's alignment in what we're trying to do so thank you yeah no and i very much appreciate you giving a platform to amplify my message always this has been amplify a mini series by the true north collective podcast for more from rachel and i and to be able to leave a donation for guests coming on this mini series check us out on the gram at the true north collective underscore we think it's incredibly important that everyone be able to authentically live and find their true north. We appreciate your support. Thank you.